interrupt our program to bring you this important message. This is not a drill. This is an emergency. You knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I'm Tommy Salmons. Today, the Taliban claimed responsibility for killing two American service members in Afghanistan. Uh, leaders as disparate as President Obama and President Trump have both said that they want to end U.S. involvement in Afghanistan, but it isn't over for America. Why isn't it over? Why can't presidents of very different parties and very different temperaments get us out of there? And how could you? I appreciate that question. So I've, I've been in Congress 17 years. And 12 of those years, I've sat on the Armed Services Committee, either the Defense Appropriations Committee or the Armed Services Committee. And the lesson that I've learned over the years is that you have to stay engaged in these situations. Nobody likes it. It's long. It's tedious. But right now we have, so I would say we must be engaged in this. We must have our State Department engaged. We must have our military engaged to the, to the extent they need to be. But the reality of it is, this president doesn't even have people appointed in the State Department to deal with these things. Whether we're talking about Central America, whether we're talking about Iran, whether we're talking about Afghanistan, we've got to be completely engaged. And here's why. Because these flare-ups distract us from the real problems in the country. If we're if getting a drone shot down for $130 million because the president is distracted, that's $130 million that we could be spending in places like Youngstown, Ohio, or Flint, Michigan, or, re or rebuilding. Congresswoman or Gallard, rebuilding. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, actually, to is jump off what he what said. He described will, engagement as the problem. you will tell the parents of those two soldiers who were just killed in Afghanistan, well, we just have to be engaged. As a soldier, I will tell you, that answer is unacceptable. We have to bring our troops home from Afghanistan. We are in a place in Afghanistan where we have lost so many lives. We've spent so much money, money that's coming out of every one of our pockets, money that should be going into communities here at home, meeting the needs of the people here at home. We are no better off in Afghanistan today than we were when this war began. This is why it's so important to have a president and commander in chief who knows the cost of war and who's ready to do the job on day one. I am ready to do that job when I walk into the Oval Office. Thank you very much. Listen, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go down the, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go down the line here. Well, you know what? You felt, you felt like she was responding. You get 30 seconds. Go. Fair enough. I appreciate that. I hear what you're saying. I would just say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be engaged. I wish we were spending all this money in places that I've represented that have been completely forgotten and we were rebuilding. But the reality of it is, if the United States isn't engaged, the Taliban will grow and they will have bigger, bolder terrorist acts. We have got to have some present there. As, the as, the as Taliban was Iraq. there long before we came in. They'll yeah, be and they there were, long yeah, before we exactly. leave. Well, we cannot keep U.S. And troops they were deployed to Afghanistan thinking that we're going to somehow squash this Taliban I that has say, been there that every other country that's trying to I didn't say squash them. When we weren't in there, they started flying planes into our buildings. So
So I'm just saying right now, the we Taliban have an didn't attack us on 9-11. Al-Qaeda did. Well, Al-Qaeda attacked us on 9-11. I understand. That's why I and so I many other people joined the military to go I after Al-Qaeda, not the Taliban. The Taliban ahead, finish up was protecting those people who were plotting against us. All I'm saying is, if we want to go in to elections and we want to say that we got to withdraw from the world, that's what President Trump is saying. We okay. can't. I would love you know for us protecting to. protecting Al Qaeda right now. I want to go Saudi down. Arabia. Well, okay. So that moment there with uh, between Tulsi Gabbard and Tim Ryan, that was the best moment of the entire four hours of of debates in uh for for the democratic debates this last week um tulsi gabbard did a did a good job of of holding her ground i thought she backed off a little bit further and i'll get into that here in a second but um that was that was probably you know it's i don't i'm not going to put it up there with ron paul style a moment when whenever he faced off with giuliani just because number one tim ryan's not nearly well as known as as rudy giuliani was um you know, um, Tulsi Gabbard, it, it, by my estimation, is better better well known than than Tim Ryan. But it was a good it was a good moment for her to to shine and and to show that if you confront her or you uh you you get into it with her about the foreign policy, she's going to she's gonna chew you up and spit you out, especially any of the Democrats in, in this, in this debate, the, the main problem, like I really had with, with this whole thing is number one, Tim Ryan, he, he goes on to talk about, like he was talking about how he was a member of the armed services committee. And now he wants to be the president of the United States, be in charge of foreign policy, but he doesn't even understand the basics of what's going on. And, and he, he's, he's, Confusing, and I, I hear people do this all the time. Confusing um, the Taliban with Al Qaeda, and they're not one and the same. And he went on to say, "Well, they were protecting Al Qaeda," and and this is where I think Tulsi messed up. Okay, so when as soon as he said, "Well, they they were protecting Al Qaeda," all Tulsi Gabbard had to say, "Well, actually, if you if you remember correctly, the Taliban was actually attempting to negotiate extradition of." al-qaeda members to the united states but george w bush wanted war so badly he refused to get and get his hands on the perpetrators of 9-11 immediately you know with the assistance of the taliban and he decided to go to war and then he started fighting against the taliban as well as al-qaeda even though the taliban had nothing to do with with uh the the uh terrorist attack on on September 11th. And the fact that we're over there and 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 we 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 have men and women over there fighting um against the Taliban today while you know w- the Taliban has 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 put you know terms on the table saying hey look we can negotiate here if you will just back off and let's have some negotiations and i know some have taken place i'm not sure how far the the negotiations have gotten i haven't really kept up with that i haven't really seen much about that in the last few months but i do know that they have sat down and talked and that's that's what should be happening is we should be the the US government should be sitting down with the Taliban and saying okay let's negotiate some some kind of peace here because this is ridiculous we, you know 
we've gotten a, our, our men and women are in a situation to where they're going to continue to die and there's going to be continue to be innocent people killed. So let's get our troops out of there. Let's, uh, see, see what y'all have to offer and, and let's move forward. And, and that would be the, the best way to, to go about it. But the fact of the matter is the U S cannot admit defeat, just like they could not admit defeat in Vietnam. They're not going to be able to admit defeat in, um, Afghanistan and you're, you're going to have a hard time, uh, finding a president, um, that's willing to, to pull the troops out and say, you know what, this is a, a, a major, you know, scar on the record of the, of the military and of, of those that were dictating these policies ever since George W. Bush. And I know a lot of people thought Trump was that guy, but Trump's not that guy because he doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't have the literacy in NGO politics to understand what it takes to, to do this in such a way. Um, when, when you have all these military members, you have, you know, the CIA and all these guys in his ear saying, no, 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 no. This, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. But he's not, he doesn't have the knowledge and, and the wherewithal to stand up against those guys and say, no, no, this is what I know to be true. And this is what you people need to, except is that we're not going to be over there perpetually fighting these perpetual wars, these forever wars and, and continuing to get men and women, innocent civilians killed no matter what country that's in. And he just doesn't have that. He, there, there's, he, he has, he's all talk and, and no, no play when it comes to this um, situation because he doesn't understand foreign policy. And that was a, that's a really good thing about Tulsi Gabbard. Now I don't believe for a second She's actually going to be the party's nominee, but it was good to see that moment. Um, if you watch the, the entire four hours, the two nights of deba- debates, um, two hours the first night, two hours the second night, uh, 10 candidates the first night, 10 candidates the second night, it's the rest of it is pretty blasé. I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of, it's boring. It's, uh, it's pretty much what you expect. Um, there was a little bit of going after Joe Biden by Kamala Harris. Uh, nothing over the top. Um, but but for the most part, it, it was just kind of like, eh, all right, whatever. It, you get what you expect. You get a whole lot of people making a lot of promises. Um, the, when I'm in government, we're going to take care of you. We're going to create, we're going to give you a job. We're going to make sure that you never have to, to worry so the hubris it takes to believe that you have the answers to solve everyone's problems. Like you have the ability to ensure jobs, comfort, sufficient health care, safety, retirement, all around security to 350 million people or whatever the country is up to nowadays. That's, I, I don't know. It, it's just crazy. Uh, the, the, these people believe they have the power to alter the environment and remove the dangers associated with living with life in general. And as the, the paternalism involved is absolutely dumbfounding. And for grown men, grown women, adults all around, 
to buy into the idea that people can can do this in any efficient and effective way just blows my damn mind. Yeah, I, I understand being paternal as a parent. I I understand I have I have a certain role or an instinct when it comes to my children. Uh, I want them to be safe. I want success for them. But they're entering adulthood now. So am I just supposed to continue to do for them and and try to negate all obstacles that may be in their way? Or do I try to shift and evolve into another role in their lives? One of support when needed of um, advice when asked for, but non-intrusive kind of hands off. Let, let adults be adults, you know, encourage them when they need it. But, but I don't know, man, they, they're going to fail. They'll, they're going to get hurt. They're, they're going to struggle, but the failures, pains, and struggles are theirs to conquer. This, this is how you build character. This is how you learn to succeed. This is how you, to learn to move forward and beyond obstacles that are in your way. This is how you grow. This, this understanding, this unspoken contract formulated by responsibility of bringing life into the world this understanding that a child enters the world helpless unable to fend for themselves they must be fed clothed and sheltered they must be taught even the simplest of of things uh, like you have to be taught how to chew you have to be taught how to how to ride a bike or how to walk or how to talk you have to be taught all these things. And why are you teaching them these things? You're not teaching them these things so that you can continuously pamper them and, and breastfeed them throughout their entire lives. You're, you're teaching these, them these things so that they can grow and, and be self-sufficient so that they can get out from under your thumb so that they can be out from under your shadows so that you don't have to, nurture them their entire lives you know they though they grow up to to be capable of living without an overseer without somebody standing over them micromanaging their every move and and making sure they hold their hand and don't allow them to do anything that might be harmful to them or their future. The fact of the matter is people are going to make mistakes. Life is, is full of these mistakes. It's full of these errors. It's full of these struggles. And that's part of it. That's just part of life. And to think and act, you want them to think and act in ways that benefit them for you to think 
or to act as if you can continuously, you know, guide or, 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 or control their environment and, in those aspects of their life around them is, is completely naive. Um, you're, 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 you're training them to, to get out, to, to act in their best self-interest in the best self-interest of the family that they create, the, the lives they bring into the world are, are their responsibility, not your responsibility though. I mean, I'm certain their grandparents feel a certain responsibility for their grandchildren, but it's not the same as a parent and their child. It's, it's way it's, it's, it's separated, you know, by a dimension. Therefore there's a hands-off approach to it. And it's, it's a little easier to see from the outside looking in, Hey, maybe, maybe like, um, you need to let that child fail in this area. You need to let them, you know, struggle at times. This idea that that maybe like you're supposed to be hands on throughout the life of your children, that's what the that's what the promise of politics is. That's that continuous paternalist view in which they come and they coddle. Um, in this case, the the parents are free to abandon responsibility as the state steps in. To, to manage their children and to care for their children. And that that's that's giving the parents an out. The, the parents took on this responsibility of bringing life into this world. And, and they are ultimately responsible for, you know, making sure that life is best prepared for this. And whenever you're, you're giving them that cushion to say, ah, oh, no, you, you know what? I would rather not be involved in, in this, this facet of the life. I'm going to allow the government to teach sex, sex education. Therefore, I don't have to have that uncomfortable conversation with my child, or I'm going to let the, the government control their education moving forward. Therefore, I don't have the burden and responsibility of ensuring that my child is well-educated. In when you're when you look at it in in that aspect, you you've abdicated all your responsibility in your adulthood. You've given up your self sufficiency uh, in 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 favor of state provided essentials. You're you're coddled. You're meant to remain in a position of suspended youth, abandoning your individuality uh, to become this this member of of a societal group or a societal family, this organization that, that has, has completely grabbed on to the, the coattails of the government and allowing the government to make these basic decisions for them. You you've chosen to be a dependent as, as opposed to independent. And that the, the, the state's entire goal is to mold you and shape you until their ideal benefactor. So just as you keep your six-year-old away from the street 
to preserve and protect them, to, to, to raise them and to make sure that they're safe and not putting themselves in un- unnecessary danger, the state disciplines you for acting in ways that could cause harm to you, whether it would be, you know, um, drinking or, or, um, or drugs or prostitution or, or any number of things that have been illegal over the years and been prohibited over the years. The state is, is, is intending is, is attempting to manage you and to control you and to create and put you in the situation that they want you to be in that is best for their interest. As if you're incapable of the simplest of decisions. Like you need to be guided to their ends because for some because their ends is is more noble than any decisions or any um goals or ambitions that you may have. Uh to to be part of their ideal society is, is what you should be pursuing and, and not your own individual independent ideal or, or, um, free thinking, um, you know, curiosity. Um, it, it should all be managed and, and guided within this influence that the state has created in order to, to, to keep you lazy in order for you to not have to be uncomfortable. And they convince you that this is for your own safety. This is for your own security. And when in all actuality, this is for their benefit. And when you, when you get into these conversations, I don't know. It's like while the process of Republicans and Democrats fighting over uh, which will be a better mother for the people, I guess is the best way to say it. Which one's going to be the better parent? Which one's better at, at nurturing to through throughout a life and not just into adulthood, but th- until the death of you, which, which one is better. And they, there's this use of these euphemisms in fighting over this, in, in this battle. And, and it's, and it's, it, it drives me crazy. Like, um, you, you hear like national security because they, they'll use, they'll use that in, in many instances, whenever they feel like information may be embarrassing to, to the state or to their bureaucracies, but one of the ones that you hear all the time that I that I want to kind of talk about just a just a few minutes here, and and I want to kind of point this out because I think it's very interesting. But one of the ones, and you hear this, uh, I, I heard this a couple of times through the Democratic debates, and I and you can't be engaged in any political thought or any political like investigation or study without hearing the word justice. And just as an example, I was in a conversation the other day with a guy and we were talking about, um, putting our, uh, the arming of poor minorities in the inner cities. And, and he kept bringing up the word justice. He kept, well, well, is this going to, is this going to bring about justice? If, if, if these people are armed 
and and they're and they're attempting to defend themselves, whether it's against um, perpetrators of their own neighborhood, of their own community, or you know, against injustices by the state, you know, against you know police brutality or or things of this this uh, ilk. The, the the entire argument the, the gentleman was making that I was talking to was, well, is this going to bring about justice? Is this going to bring about justice for the for the most the largest amount of people? Is this going to be bring about justice for minority groups? Is this going to bring about justice? Yada yada yada. And I had to break it to him. Eventually, I was like, look, man, I was like, you keep bringing up the word justice. I was like, number one, I don't believe in justice. I don't. I just don't believe that it's it's in the least bit possible if there was any evidence that there was going to be justice, you know, through use through the use of government in any situation, um, ever in the history, it would have been, um, in the 240 years of the U S's history. Um, But unfortunately, that's not the case. And there's no evidence that we'll ever get to the idea that there's actually true justice for anybody. And, you know, maybe that's um, a pessimistic way of looking at it, but that's just the way I I, I, I view it. And I, I just told him, I said, look, you're interested in justice and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't hold that against you in the fact that I don't necessarily think that you, you think that way because you're bad or you, you know, anything like that. You just have a different idea. And when my, but my main interest is Liberty because that's going to be the best outcome for any of these groups. It gives them the opportunity within their own society, within their own community to create their own form of justice, to, to create their own, you know, court system or police system, security system, whatever you want to call it. They're going to have their own systems in which that they are in control of and that, that they can tend look to. And if, if they're being abused or they're being mistreated in any way, shape or form, they have the power to, to get these people fired. Unlike today when uh, a police officer, you know, steps out and, um, and, and it, it causes the death of, of an Eric Garner or a Daniel Shaver or, or they, falsely, um, you know, arrests somebody under false, uh, pretenses, false accusations that there's actually accountability, um, under a system into which that community is, is controlling these devices of power. That community has the ultimate authority over these, over these devices of quote unquote security or safety. If if nothing else, that would be, you know, um, limit the amount of abuses that are, are, are capable of taking place. And what I just, I ended up watching this past week actually, and I'm going to watch it again. Cause I thought it was really good. It was well written. It was well done. It wasn't a hundred percent accurate. I, I understand that there are, um, a couple of things within the movie um, that are a little out of place or maybe were done in order to kind of, um, 
solidify some of the emotion. But for the most part, it was it was probably about 85% accurate. And it was the movie When They See Us. And it was about the uh, Central Park Five. Um, I don't know if any of y'all remember that. I know some of you, well, I'm pretty sure some of you remember it. I know a couple do. But um, for the most part, like what had happened was a group of kids um, uh, hanging out in Central Park late at night. They were being young. They were being, you know, they were being, some of them were being punks, you know, some of them were, were beating up on people and, and throwing rocks at cars and, and doing, you know, what kids do, you know, being, being little juvenile delinquents, like most of us were at one point in time. And, um, they, they ended up getting, all of them, well, most of them got picked up by the police um, in the in the process of the whole situation. They were going to be sent to civil court, but in the process, the, um, there was um, a woman found that had been brutally raped and almost beaten to death. And um, five of these kids ended up getting convicted. Um, they were coerced in, into confessions and convicted of... Uh, raping and assaulting this this woman now in the history of the united states there's very 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 touchy race relations that are not going to be solved overnight and they're not going to be solved um, through the use of government um, given that a lot of the racial tensions were created by government Um, but there was definitely some amount of, of racial, um, there was a racial element to this case. Um, you're talking about four black boys, um, and, and one half Hispanic, half black, uh, teenager. All of them were between the ages of 14 and 16. They all got between, I think it was five and 15 years. And the exoneration of their charges did not come through the system, realizing that there was something wrong or somebody within the system continuing an investigation saying, look, there was something wrong about the way this case went down. There was something wrong with these confessions. There was something like none of the, none of the physical evidence matched what you were, um, getting these kids to confess to yada, yada, yada. And, um, and unfortunately what, what happens in these, in this, in this case was an upper middle-class white woman was brutally raped and nearly murdered. And a bunch of minorities were imprisoned for large chunks of their life. And it wasn't until 2002 when the actual rapist, a serial rapist, came forward and confessed to the rape of this woman that all these charges were exonerated. It was not the state getting involved. It was not the state 
do, furthering an investigation and seeing that there was something wrong. There was no review of this case. There was no appellate process. They were put up in front of the parole board. And because none of them would say, yeah, we actually committed this crime and we are remorseful of it. None of them were allowed to parole out. But why should they admit to something they didn't do? Even after a coerced confession, they do not have to continue to admit to it. And so um, I, I would encourage you to watch the movie. It's very good. It's a very good movie. Uh, if you've never seen the documentary, The Central Park Five, it's very good too. Um, but, but the idea is what makes you think that a system that still to this day you're talking 17 years after the exoneration of these of these men and in this in the the a, a court deciding oh well yeah these these charges are no longer valid these convictions are no longer valid um, we are going to evacuate these convictions and exonerate these boys. And still to this day, they have not received, they have not, the lawsuit has just continued to be drug out and drug out and drug out and drug out. A state, uh, uh, the city of New York was, was eager within a year. These boys were locked up and 17 years later, they can't get retribution for the mistakes that the state made. And not only can they not get retribution for the mistakes that the state made, but the, the DA's office and the, the police department are standing by the decisions and saying that all this proves is that that serial rapist was hanging out with these boys and that they, don't, they still believe that these boys were involved, even though no evidence ever pointed in the direction of these boys being involved and the police getting brutal and, and coercing these boys into confessions was not used against the, the confessions. And so you have to look at a system like that. That that is not justice. There is no justice in that. These people will not be justifiably compensated for the loss of their life. They're not going to be justifiably compensated for the emotional scars or the PTSD that they suffer from the abuses that they dealt with in prison from a bunch of young black boys, 14, 15 years old, getting beat up by grown ass white men for raping a white woman. You're not going to have, you're not going to get compensation for that. There's not going to be any retribution for that. There is no justice in this case. The best case scenario would have been one of liberty, one of, of, of freedom into which these boys could have turned around and, and, and used their freedoms to say, I will not go with the police. I will not be subjected to this type of behavior by the police because some, a couple of kids got out of hand one night. And then now you want to start accusing Every kid that was in the park that particular night, there were over 30 kids in the park that particular night, just because a handful, two or three got, got a little out of hand and got a little rambunctious and caused some issues. Doesn't mean that 30 children should be going to civil court. 
and then to turn around and blame five of those children for a murder in which there's no physical evidence that places them anywhere near that victim at any point in time. That is not justice. And I promise you within a system that perpetrates that type of injustice and this types, these types of biases within its system and the, the protectionism of its own institutions at the disposal of citizens, because the state would have been perfectly happy had these boys rotted away in prison. If it only made the state look good, that, is not a system in which there was ever going to be justice, fairness, which is usually what people mean by justice, is not going to occur. As as my mama says, fairness is the devil. Because there's no such thing as fairness. Life is not fair. I'm being silly, but but the, the fact of the fucking matter is nobody's going to be fair to you. Nobody's going to treat you fairly. Nobody's going to give you your just deserve. You have to go out there and you have to earn it every day. And you're lucky if you get it, if you do earn it. So justice is, is a fairy tale. Fairness is a fairy tale. These equality you know, equity, these things are fairy tales. They do not exist. You will not see them in your lifetime. I will not see them in my lifetime because as long as there are those with the power to pick winners and losers, there's always going to be a loser. Whether that loser is, is on the under the bottom side of the rung rightfully or not. So in, in some way, shape, or form, we have to we have to learn to to combat this idea of justice, this fairy tale that there will be justice, because it is not the reality of life, it is not the reality of the situation, and it has never been the reality of any country ruled over by a government. That's all I got for you today. I'm Tommy Salmons. Late. You take on the intelligence community. They have six ways from Sunday of getting back at you. I, I, I was a CI director. We lied. We cheated. We stayed stole. We had entire training courses. It, it, it reminds you of the, uh, uh, the glory of the American experiment. You take on the intelligence community. They have six ways from Sunday of getting back at you. I, I was the CI director. We lied, we cheated, we stayed stole. We had entire training courses. It, 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 it reminds you of the uh, uh, the glory of the American experiment.